The scripture lesson, the second scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark. I will read chapter 24, verses 24 through 37. Listen now for the word of the Lord. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? God, we know you are always present with us. We ask you to show, slow us down now, that we might be present to you. Amen. Things will get worse before they get better. That's the basic message of the verses we heard in Mark 13, not 24. I'm sorry, it was chapter 13. Whether you're talking about the Jewish revolt against Rome and the destruction of Jerusalem that took place in the lifetime of Mark's original readers, or about the war that ensues between Russia and Ukraine, or between Gaza and Israel right now, it's hard to imagine how things could possibly get worse. And yet that is what apocalyptic visions, such as the one we heard, imagine. They know things are bad. They imagine that things will get worse because they imagine that the end is still to come. In the Bible, the purpose of such apocalyptic visions is not to predict specific events. Rather, their purpose is to push people to hang on, to wait just a little longer. Because just when you are sure you cannot endure any longer, God will intervene. Really? Will God really intervene? You and I aren't the only ones who wonder about this, who pray for this. 
Who has not at one time or another wondered why God is not intervening in the world with awesome deeds? It's usually a question that gets raised when situations are so dire that people doubt that they can rescue themselves. In the first scripture lesson we heard this morning, taken from the book of Isaiah, the prophet laments, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, bring forth an earthquake and fire, and make our enemies tremble. Things have gotten so dire for Israel that there is nothing more that the prophet would want than for God, with shock and awe, to intervene. Three times Isaiah pleads for God's intervention, and God remains hidden. And so Isaiah laments, Really, God, why won't you intervene? You did before, in the past. You parted the Red Sea, delivered your people out of slavery, brought them out of Egypt. Why won't you do something like that right now? Remember, for Israel, the paradigmatic act, the paradigmatic act of God was God's rescue of the Israelites from Egypt. That mighty act was the quintessential feature of how God has related to them in history. It's repeated like a refrain throughout the Hebrew Bible. When God reveals God's self to the Israelites, when God gives the Israelites the law, when God makes a covenant with them. So, It is understandable, it is troubling, understandably, when God no longer intervenes with such mighty acts to rescue them. Given the paradigm by which they understood God to be in relation to them, they are now undergoing a crisis of faith. God seems hidden to them. To underscore this point, let's briefly address what a paradigm is and how it functions. A paradigm is an outstandingly clear and typical pattern of something. It functions as a way to view the world. When something happens that falls outside a prevailing worldview or cannot be adequately explained by the prevailing worldview, the conditions are ripe for a paradigm shift, a shift in worldview. A scientific example of such a paradigm shift is the shift from thinking that the earth is flat to the understanding that the earth is a sphere. While the concept of a paradigm shift originated in the natural sciences, it has been appropriated by other fields to describe profound changes in our perception of events. In the field of theology, in an effort to understand how God is relating to humanity, Our thinking undergoes paradigm shifts also. Our theological paradigms shift when they no longer adequately make sense of significant life experiences. Could it be that the prophet Isaiah is accompanying Israel through a painful and messy time of shifting paradigms? When Israel no longer perceives God as intervening in human history through mighty deeds, the prophet Isaiah is forced to come to the conclusion that the past paradigm does not dictate the present and the future. Rather, 
He has to remind Israel that God is always surprising us, perhaps not with new mighty deeds, but in how God chooses to relate to the world. He has to help the people of God shift their perception and truly wonder what God meant when God said, I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? This is the question God asks of ancient Israel. And during the season of Advent, when we are instructed to wait for God to reveal God's self, the church circles back to this question so that we can apply it to ourselves. Do we perceive what God is doing? What is the state of your perception these days? What are you caught up looking at? And are you expecting to find God there? This past week, were you looking for God in the ceasefire between Hamas and Israel? In the release of hostages? Before that, were you looking for God in the rubble, either in Israel or in the rubble in Gaza? Or do you find your attention so scattered in every direction that you can't honestly say that you are even looking for God anywhere? That, too, is a problem of our times. As we begin the season of Advent, our lectionary task texts ask us to pay attention, to stay awake, but not to just more of the same. We are about to undergo a paradigm shift. We have to pay attention in such a way that we can discern this new way of God at work in human history, of God relating to humanity. That part of us that looks for a God who would shock and awe us with mighty acts, who would tear open the heavens and come down and make our enemies tremble, has to make way for a paradigm shift. You are the church. You know the theological paradigm that forms our worldview. It is the paradigm of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, born into this world as a vulnerable infant and pushed out of the world onto the cross. That is the paradigm through which we discern and make sense of how God relates to us and is working in the world. Christ's vulnerability and powerlessness reflect God's determination to relate to the world by means of non-coercive love rather than domination and force. To help Israel shift from its original paradigm, Isaiah offers the intimate images of God as parent and potter and ourselves as clay. O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. So near to us is God. So close and responsive is the relationship between potter and clay in this creative work. We cannot expect the news media to show us God's paths of non-coercive non love 
though I keep reading the news and watching the news in hopes that they will. To find that, we must exercise our attention differently than the all-pervasive media or consumer-driven technologies would have us do. Fortunately, we don't have to look far or go out of our way to perceive God through the paradigm of Christ. We have only to attend to the persons and tender situations right in front of us. We can practice Christ's presence anytime, anywhere, and with anyone. It's true that in that moment, you might miss out on something going on somewhere else, but that's okay, because where Christ is, that is where you want to be. Amen.